those windows blowing you out in the background? No, they're good. It's good. Yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Outside the Arena with Mac and Griff. I'm Griffin Senek, joined by my co-host, Mac Rommel, and today we have a very special guest. He's worked for MSG Network and now currently has a show on ESPN Radio called The High School Report. He also is in charge of the Veterans Camp at the Bruce Beck Sports Broadcasting Camp. Everyone, Mike Quick. Hey guys, how are you? How's everything going? Great. We're good. How are you, Mike? Everything's good. Mac, I was up at your high school today talking yep. to Ryan Mahoney, your athletic director. He said he was going to reach out. So it's been nice to hear from you guys since camp ended. So I'm really excited to throw it around here today. Whatever you want to talk about, let's let it rip. Thanks for joining us. So I guess we'll get right into it. So to start, everyone has a dream when they're little. It's either to be – the most common one is obviously an athlete. And me and Griffin's dream is to become a, a sports broadcaster, which is what you are. So we're wondering, what, what was the point in your life when you decided you want to be a sports broadcaster for a living? Uh, pretty easy, Mac. Fourth grade, Brookside Elementary School, Norwalk, Connecticut. I was talking in class about Dr. J. He was like the LeBron James for you guys of the day and how great he was the night before. And I was talking to my buddy, Willie Prophet, and my teacher, Mrs. Fontaine, said, Mr. Quick, if you want to interrupt my class talking about sports, and you should just become a sportscaster one day. And I, I looked up at her and I said, there you go, Fontaine. That's what I'm going to do. So in fourth grade, I knew it because I got yelled at. How about that? Pretty good, yeah. right? Yeah, that was similar for me too. I remember uh, it was like the whole family were watching one of the Cowboys games. And I just talked through the whole entire game. And my brother and my mom, they're like, you should just be a, a broadcaster. So that's how I realized that's what I wanted to be. So it's pretty cool. Never work a day in your life. You have to work hard, but it's not work. There's a difference, yep. you know, there's a difference. So after that, you know, fourth grade dream that you realized, what were the next steps that you took maybe in, you know, middle school or high school to, you know, work towards that dream of yours? Well, you know, guys, it's so funny. And, and like, even during the camp, the week we had at camp where some of our guest speakers came on and when you were in the camp last year, how fortunate you guys are in today's day and age, because there's so many things available to do back then. I mean, in high school, there wasn't much you could do. I, I mean, I watched sports. I read about sports. There, there wasn't a lot to do. You know, I, I, I do remember when the local radio station in Norwalk, Connecticut, WNLK 1350, sportscaster by the name of Bert Steer. And back then, high school football was on the radio a lot. Like, and there were three high schools in Norwalk, Central Catholic, Catholic High School, Brian McMahon and Norwalk High, the public school. So every week, somebody would get a game of the week on the radio. So you would be on, you know, three times, three or four times a year. <clears throat> and when he would come up to school to talk to the coaches, I would always like kind of hang around. I was nervous when he was there. I mean, like he was the first on-air legend that I, you know, because when you're in high school and guys are doing games, there's a legendary part of that. Like, oh, I'd love to do that. So I would pick his brain a little bit, but it, it didn't come – until I got to college, and believe it or not, it didn't come until second semester, my senior year, where I was able to get an internship, and I started at Cablevision in Norwalk, Connecticut, making nothing. I think I started as an intern, and then by May, they kept me on, and I remember I was doing about 60 hours a week in the summer in the sports department, 
getting paid for 15 hours. If I didn't live at home, I never would have made it. So my internship started a lot later than the opportunities in a real world, because obviously there were no internships this summer. So unfortunate for all you great young people. But it, start, it started late. But in order to do it, it's weird. Like when you want to do sports, yeah, internships are important, but you've got to love sports first. So you'd be the greatest intern yeah. in the world and say, I want to do sports. But if you don't know sports, it doesn't matter. So just watching and reading. I used to love to read in the Norwalk Hour, the local Little League round. I still, every once in a while, I'll go online to read that in the Norwalk Hour because it, if there's something about Little League and getting your name in the paper or online, which is a big deal. So a very different upbringing I had getting into it than you guys will experience going forward. Yeah. Was there a reason specifically or just a lack of opportunity that you decided to start and we'll have your first opportunity in your second semester of senior year? Not a lot of opportunities, Mac. Just not. And what when I went to Sacred Heart, they wanted to make sure that, that you know, the upperclassmen were always taken care of. And it just, there was not an opportunity for me until that second semester, senior year. Now kids, and, and I'm different. I, I'm different from a lot of people in that I'm a huge believer. When you go to college, that first year, that freshman summer, don't get an internship for two reasons. One, hey, you're still a kid. Go enjoy it. Work at a summer camp. Play, you know, be the, the, the program director for a parks and rec kickball camp or a wiffle ball league. Do that because the following year, as you're, after your sophomore year, when you get in, honestly, guys, it's now a full-time job for you. So you won't have a summer off again for an extended period of time until you're getting Social Security when you're 65. So I've always said for two reasons. One, be a kid for as long as you can because in this world – Everybody wants everybody to grow up so quickly. Relax for a while. Enjoy what you have. And then secondly, you know, if you're an intern and you're great after your freshman year, the problem is the interns they're going to hire are the ones who are there second semester, junior year, first or second semester, senior year. Because so many come through. You could have been great, but you were still an intern when you were a freshman. People be like, what was that guy's name again? Was it Max Senyak or was it Griffin Romo? What was his? And then, so that's the reason I think. You know, put every, once you get into your sophomore year, that summer or, or during semester, give everything you have. But until then, be a kid. Be a kid. So I guess my next question then would be once, you know, you did finish college, what was, you know, the first step or first you know, big job or something like that, that you landed that, you know, really got you your, your start in the industry fully. Well, Griff, and here's the thing. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And I think that you've heard that from a lot of people through the years who have spoken at the camp and stuff. So it's called getting your foot in the door. So when I was an intern at Sacred Heart, I entered at Cablevision of Norwalk, Connecticut, 28 Cross Street, right next to the Metro North track. And there was an opera. Now I wanted to be a sports guy, but there were no opportunities in sports. The only opportunity that was afforded at Cablevision then was a 15 hour a week studio camera operator job for a talk show called the Fairfield Exchange. 
And I would sit there and I'd listen to politicians talk. I'd watch people how to make the best Chinese food or the best pizza. You're behind the camera. You do two shows a day. But the second the show ended, I would go hang out in the sports department with Dennis Buckley. See, because I got my foot in the door. And if it wasn't for that studio camera opera, uh, opportunity on the Fairfield Exchange, I couldn't have hung out with Dennis Buckley. And by hanging out with Dennis, that's what we then turned into For him, it was great. I was working 45 coming out of his budget. Cablevision wasn't paying me. But we had such a great local sports cast because I learned how to shoot. I learned how to edit, writing scripts and the whole. So it worked out great in the door for a job I didn't want. But it's the greatest job I ever had because it was a springboard to all the other great things that happened. Yeah. So to follow up with that, I'd want to say, because I do at my school, I do some of the behind the scenes stuff too. And I'm starting to get into the on camera stuff. Did you think you being behind the scenes, although not talking about sports, that that helped you and you learn from them and how they talk and communicate to the camera? Awesome. Great question. I still say of all the shows I've done in my life, my favorite sports moment ever up in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Brian McMahon High School at Warring Harding in Bridgeport at Hedges Field, dirt stadium, a little bit of grass, and a kid, Idris Price, in 1994, had an interception. It was 14-0. So here's the thing. Let me think like a player. So, or no, let me think like a producer. So McMahon's winning 14-0. You get a sense they're going to dominate this game. I then decide, well, if Harding scores, I've only got a minute to show the highlights. Well, I knew the McMahon first two touchdowns were long runs, so you put them together, it's about 30 seconds worth of highlights. If Harding scores to make it 14-7, that's kind of a useless highlight. We really don't need it because if it ends 14 what? So what I did was let me play down in distance. I went to the other end of the field. Harding was driving. They were on the McMahon 30. Fumble, Idris Price picks it up. Now, all the other media people are in the end zone that Harding was coming towards. I'm 70 yards the other way in the back of the end zone. Number 45, Idris Price, Old Mess jersey, half shirt, stomach whipped, and picks up the fumble and just runs at me like it's NFL films. And till that moment, it is still not any show I ever did. It's that camera moment because it was the first day I said, let me think. I've got to shoot this the best way it is to edit it. And it happened that day. And I have taught so many young people, understand the game understand down and distance make sure you're situated where you think is the best and that's a great question but my favorite moment is as a cameraman and i do think as you guys go on in this business i think it's very important to have a wonderful working relationship with an editor cameramen should know how editors think editors should know how cameramen think and it's the job of the producer slash on-air person to make sure they all match so the more you can do behind the scenes, guys, the better it will make you in front of the camera. So obviously, you know, you have that behind the scenes, but, you know, your goal is obviously to be in front of the camera. You know, you want to be, you know, on air. So after, you know, your work at the station, you know, with the camera, what was, you know, your next step or your big break towards getting that on air role? Pretty simple, Griff. So I was, again, at Cablevision, and <clears throat> Dennis Buckman, the sports director I told you, went away. So they still wanted me to shoot, edit, and write all this copy. And all of a sudden, doing this, and they bring in a guy from WNLK Radio to do it on the show. Like, he sits there behind the desk because he wanted to be on camera. 
But I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. So I did this for like, Dennis was away for two weeks. So I worked seven days a week. And on like the fifth day, I went to the news director. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm doing all this guy's work and he's getting the on-air credit. I can do this. And the news director happened to be taking a vacation the following week. And the assistant news director heard it. And they're like, you know what? Give it a shot. See what you think. See what you can do. And I went on there. And that's, that's how I got my first on-air opportunity. And then what I did was I was like, okay, I really like this. So we used to do a cable vision would do a, a Fairfield County game of the week. And I had seen like on cable vision back then games coming from out of Long Island and they had like a sideline reporter. And I said to them and Dave Rabin was the producer. I said, how about a sideline reporter? He goes, we can't pay. I said, I don't care. And that following week I started on the sideline, but my biggest on air break by far was in 87 when I went to Coca-Cola High School Sports Week, which was on MSG Network. And Greg Gumble was the host of the show. And I went there as a writer researcher. And Greg realized, wow, Mike knows about, he's out at these games and everything. And he said to the producer of the show, we should put him on air because he gives us credibility. And that's how it, so in 87, that was the big break. And then that show just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Greg left to do more other things. Then Al Troutwig came in. I was his reporter for three years. And then when that went away, they brought me to the garden. And then I created all the shows there at the garden. So yeah, it was kind of a three-pronged thing. Filled in for that guy, because he was getting all the credit and I was doing all the work. Reached out to the producer, said, I want to be on the sidelines. And Greg Gumbel said, let's put this guy on the air. So that, that's how it started. So going back to the, um, the cable and in your first break, how were you able to manage your time between starting to be on air and all the production side you were doing? Well, if I didn't do the production side right, Mac, then they would have taken me off air. So there were a lot of late nights, a lot of early mornings. I could tell you this, I opened and closed that place more than a lot of people because I still had my responsibility for the studio shows. But in order to keep Dennis Pluckman happy, I still had to make sure I was doing all my things. And then selfishly for me, I, if that stuff wasn't right, then I was never going to get the on-air opportunity. So in a 24-hour day back at Cablevision, and if you think about it, the talk show was an hour, and we had to do like a half hour of, of wraparounds. So I literally was doing maybe seven hours in the studio of camera work. The rest of it was all sports. So, you know, doing about 60 hours and doing it to a level. We never treated it like it was high school because my thought always was this kid may never get on TV again. So let's make sure we they make the plays, we capture the memories. And that's always been my mantra. So that was my goal. Make sure I did the studio camera well. Make sure I worked as hard or if not harder than I ever did for Dennis Buckman. And if that happened, when he would go away, then I would be afforded the opportunity to get on. And then when we started doing the sideline stuff, then they're like, because it was the same company, it's like, well, this guy's got a little pizzazz to him. He's into it. So it just, it went from there. But I was only at Cablevision for, I started on January 2nd, 1986. And I was off to Coca-Cola High School Sport Tweet by February of 87. So I was only at Cablevision for 14 months. Wow. While at Cablevision, was there, was there ever, did you ever feel like there was a point, like a low point for you where, you know, you felt like maybe this isn't worth it or 
you felt like you might, you know, feel like giving up the dream of oh, being absolutely. a sports broadcaster? Absolutely. And that's why I went to the, the news director and said, why is this guy doing this and not me? I'm better than him on air already. And you're letting him because he has a radio show. So that was the most, I mean, Griff, it's a great question. And part of me said, if they don't allow me to do this, <clears throat> I'm done. But I, I just, I didn't want to let Dennis down. And I didn't want to let my dreams down. But I, Griff, I definitely thought of that. Like, I'm doing, I'm working 60 hours a week. You know what it'd be? It'd be like an athlete. You're practicing all week. And you know you're better than the guys who are in front of you. And they don't even let you dress for the game. So, yeah, there was, there was some frustration. But the, the news director went away. And thankfully, the assistant news director heard my plea that day and said, go, go for it. And it worked out. Really did. So looking back to cable vision, all that stuff, I feel like to me, not just with you, and I feel like all broadcasters, it takes a lot of time before you get anywhere near where you want to be with your goals. Do you feel like you could have switched or done anything differently that could have got you to where you are today differently or faster? Yeah, not, not lost my hair. <laughs> no, I wouldn't change my career for anything, guys. You know, a lot of people would say to me, oh, you need to move on to do college or pro. I loved what I did because I think anytime you, you, the show came on, kids were getting to see themselves and have a keepsake for a lifetime. Like, it is amazing in the last year or two since I've been out of the TV thing when I'd run into guys and, you know, you just kind of thought, oh, I hope they like it. And especially basketball guys, <coughs> excuse me, will tell me, to get on that show Tuesday night, it was like validation that you were a great player. Like to get on the high school weekly show was a, because you have to remember back then there's no internet, there's none of that. So the only place you know, every once in a while, maybe, you know, Bruce might do a highlight here or there, a couple others said, but every week we had 26 minutes of highlights and it, it, it just, I didn't realize, I hoped it, but I've realized, especially in the last three years, how much it meant to young boys and girls to be on that show. I did not realize that. And that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. So obviously you did, you know, a lot of work with MSG, but how did you, when was the point or, you know, what was the exact timeline, I guess, from, you know, moving from MSG to now doing the show on ESPN radio? Well, you know, it, it's, <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a wicked allergies. Um, the that was kind of out of well, like my main job now. I work for a company, Lanta, with the largest sports construction company on on the East Coast. And, and Marty Lyons, the former legendary Jet, brought me in because he said, "You know a lot of people. Get us into these schools." So that's my job. But in 2016, August 10th, I'm sorry, August 11th at 5:15. I had worked between the Garden and MSG Varsity for 22 years. I got a phone call to tell me they didn't want me back. A new company bought it, and I was told by our people inside for eight months, it's nothing to worry about, you're coming back. And then I got a call from those same people. 22 years, those people had jobs there because of what I did to pave the way, and they let me go. So they, the, the, the president of ESPN Radio, Tim McCarthy, great guy, Paul River guy, lives in northern New Jersey now, really loves the whole high school thing, especially those, those Catholic schools up in, in northern New Jersey, Iona Prep, Stepanak, Cardinal Hayes, things like that, St. Anthony's. They love that. They said, would you like to do a show? 
I said, yeah, I'd love to. So, you know, I've done that four years. The goal is if there's football coming back to do it again. I Listen, I you never want to be wrong. But, guys, I pray I'm wrong, but I don't see how I'm going to be. I don't know how high school is going to play football in the fall. I mean, if the Big Ten can't play football, how is how are the high schools going to play football? So, But if there is, the goal is to do a show. That's great. So going back to that phone call you received when they were letting you go after them telling you that you were going to stay with them, how, how did that feel and how did your family react to that? Well, it was tough. My, uh, <clears throat> my wife, Jackie, works at the garden. So it's like, we're going to figure it out. We'll figure it out. She goes, and remember, Marty Lyons brought me over to Lantech a month before that happened. So I still had a job. It was just different from the job I did. But my kids were devastated because that's what Katie and Brian knew. You know, like, that's all they knew. Like, you know, they knew names of kids they covered. They knew Don Bosco and Chaminade. Like, they knew, I mean, and they were young. And they, they took it hard. They, they took it hard. But I think the one who took it the hardest was my sister, Tara. She just burst into tears, like, when I called her. But, you know, my son, Brian, I don't, you know, guys, you know me from the camp. I don't know technology well. But Brian did say on the day it became official that I was let go. He said for a while it was tech trending on Twitter, bring back Mike Quick. So, <laughs> like, I have no idea, but that's what he said. So if that's the case, that's pretty funny. But there were some really unbelievable people reaching out, both to me and in the media, saying, like, this is just unheard of. But I was, I was pissed. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Had they told me in January, like, hey, Sorry, new company can't bring you back. But I mean, as late as the 8th, nothing, August 8th, nothing to worry about. And then the thing too is, and you guys, you know, I tell you this all the time. You want to be great communicators. You don't want to be tight. You, you want to talk to people. The fact that for 22 years that I did what I did and I found out via phone call, that was gutless. It was gutless. It was. But enough about them because that thing fell apart as soon as I left anyway. So there you go. <laughs> well, I guess something that you could say hasn't fallen apart in recent years, obviously the Bruce Beck sports broadcasting camp. How did you meet Bruce and, you know, how long have you known him? And when did he, you know, really contact you about potentially, you know, joining the camp and running the veterans portion of it? Well, you know, it's funny. My son, Brian, the other day, he texts me some, he emailed me some, text or email, and he goes, oh my God, I didn't even recognize this was Bruce. And it was a Christ the King St. Anthony's Jersey City basketball game from the Rothman Center on the campus of Teaneck University in Hackensack. And it was Bruce, Bruce was doing play by play, and I was doing color. I'm like, oh my God, he looks so young, doesn't even sound like him. I had hair, it's like, oh my God, how much things have changed. O'Brien's like, I had no idea you've known Bruce that long. I said, no, bro, I've known Bruce since 1987. So I've known Bruce a long time. And then when the camp, so it was the Bruce Beck Iron Eagle Sportscasting Camp at Montclair State. And I want to say, guys, it started in like 2000, maybe 2000, 2001. And the Fox, so in, in like 2003, 2002 or 2003, Bruce called me. They had done a first-year camp, and they had like 35 kids. And 
you know, you, you guys did the first year thing. You have a lot of guest speakers and you do some charts. It's not as hands-on as the advanced camp and 15 kids. They, it's funny. They were worrying about that year. They weren't thinking that campers wanted to come back and 15 young people, I called them the fab 15. They wanted to come back. And Bruce is like, I am, how are we going to teach two? We, we, it's hard enough doing one. And Bruce goes, I got it. We'll call up quick. And I was like, go for it. So Bruce called me up and he said, you know, hey, we got that. I said, yeah, how'd that go? He goes, no, it went great. That's the problem. He goes, it's good and bad. We didn't think kids were going to come back, but now we have to have an advanced camp. So I said, Bruce, I'd love to teach it. I'm honored that you're asking me to do it. And I said, but here's the thing. And I said to him, right like this. I said, so if kids are coming back to the veteran camp, there's two things. One, they must really want to do it. And two, their parents are paying a lot of money. So let's do this. And then I had two reasons. One being, let's keep them on the path. So when they go to college, they've got a great head start. But maybe two, even more importantly, if they just think, oh, this is fun. I like to watch sports and not realize what goes into it and get them off the path. So they're not wasting their parents' money and their time before they get to college. So I said, can I teach it my way? He goes, absolutely, not a problem. Now, you guys know now, Bruce and I are a little different. Like, I'll jump your ass, and Bruce is like, everything's going to be okay, right? My, and that's great for the first-year kids. Like, I couldn't teach the first year. I could, but I'd have to teach it a different way. I teach this one, and you guys got an easy mic quick this year. Like, <laughs> virtual stuff, I couldn't come through the screen and get you. And because I, when I said to Bruce, I want to teach it my way, he called me back like two minutes later, quickie, quickie. Bruce, what's up? He goes, hey, you're a little different. What does that mean you want to teach it your way? Life, like true life, Bruce. Like, you know, if you're late, there's repercussions. Like if the red light goes on and you're not there, you're out of a job. I said, so we're going to teach time management and I'm going to teach confidence. I said, right now, we'll give them a little bit, but you guys saw. And, and when you get me next year, when we're in person, you'll see how I'll take your confidence. You know what? I take that back. You'll see how your confidence will go to another level. And that's the thing. I said, Bruce, just let me do it the way I do it, and I know it'll work. And we've battled through the years. Like, you're too tough. No, I'm not. I'm not too tough. I said, if the ones who don't want it, if they get off the path, then I've done them a good service. And the ones who stay on the path will realize, okay, this isn't just about watching a game being like, go team, you know? So that's, yeah. how, that, that's how it started. And there were – there were some battles through the years, but it's funny. When Bruce and I left the camp in Jersey, I did that for one more year over there, and I called Bruce on that Friday afternoon. And I said, Bruce, I know you started something in, in New Rochelle in Westchester County. I want to come. He goes, really? I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, so that, that's how it started. Those first years, though, guys, I mean, they were, they were crazy. Like, cra I've wanted to quit teaching the camp probably – Eight of the 17 years and I tell the kids that because there's always that lull and I get it it's yeah. the summer and you don't think it's, it's going to be as intense as it is you know you just that's why you know were you guys in the camp when I came in to talk to you as rookies yeah I remember yeah I literally yeah. try to scare people from coming to the camp like I want them to realize like guys this is no joke we're not coloring by numbers here I mean think yeah. about it you guys had a homework assignment before camp started this year. Like, who's doing that? Yeah. But I do it because I love you guys. That's it. Like, I want you to get everything you can from me. 
and that's the way I do it in everything I do. I either do it with passion or I don't do it. And that's, yeah. that's why, even though the camp was virtual, I got to be honest, I didn't know if I was going to do it. I didn't know if it would work. And it didn't work because of me. It worked because of Joe and because of you great 31 kids. That's why it worked. You guys were unbelievable, you know. So that's how it started 17 or 18 years ago. Yeah, I remember that when you came in. That was that was exciting. You scared me, but I don't think if you didn't scare yeah. me into it, I don't think I would have even came. I'm glad that I got that scare. Did you have a hat yeah. on? I think – oh, I think I did. I like the people up with hats on if they're chewing gum. I think I have my Cowboys hat on. Yeah. I remember I was in the back and I was like talking to my friend and you just started yelling and you were like, you know, get, get, I forget who was speaking, but you were like, give him attention. I, I was like scared, like, cause Bruce was always like so nice and you just walk in and you're like, you just tell me to shut up and I wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, wait, crap. were you, Griff, were you on your phone that day? Were you playing with your phone? Probably, honestly. I remember that you were sitting. So if I'm looking at you, you were upper right hand corner from me. And I said, if you're so, in, if what you're doing is so important, then either apologize to these guys or you teach the class. Oh, I remember Probably that. Yeah, I think that might have been me. I think that might have yeah, been I remember me. that. But see, but look at that. You had the guts to take the class. Because you yeah. know why? You knew I was right. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. So that, and if, and if now did I, because I only talked to you guys for like five minutes. Before that ended, did I come back and say something to you like, hey, great eye contact, way to bounce back. Did I do that? You, I don't think I th so. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think you said to some people, you like their eye contact. Yeah. Just a, a few people like that. Yeah, because usually yeah. if I rip somebody, I'll make sure that I kind of watch them, the rest of the class, just to see. Because usually when I go out the door, I always like to say to somebody, I rip, way to bounce back. That's what makes us great. You make a mistake, it's how you bounce back from it. So, yeah, but I always say I give, I give all, all you kids a lot of credit for after I speak to you when you're rookies, for those the ones who have the guts to come do it, it's going to make you better, no doubt. Yeah, and something that also I really liked when you came in that one day was how passionate you were for Zoe after that, that week, how she was so nervous in the beginning, and she owned up to it. And then at the end of the week, you're like, I don't know if I've ever seen someone progress as much as she did. And that I, I really enjoyed that. He was great. It, it is truly amazing from that first moment over there at Iona last year. And she was now, again, two. We had like 37 kids last year, and there were two girls in the class. Like I've always said, the more girls in the class, the better the class is. One of the girls, she just thought she was a pretty girl and she was going to get by because she was pretty. Zoe, pretty girl, but has a chance to be great. Like I watched a Zoom that Joey, uh, Zoe did with Eddie Kalegi. A couple weeks ago, they said, I mean, she was unbelievable. Her confidence. And that's it. Like, as long as I can give you one thing by that Friday afternoon that when you leave that you didn't have when you came in, and you'll see it a lot more in person about the confidence building. I'm all about building. Because if you're not confident, you can't do anything. doesn't matter how much I teach you as a sportscaster. You have to believe in the guy in the mirror, the girl in the mirror. And that's what I said to Zoe. She was terrified when she got up to do her 20 seconds. I said, Zoe, here's what I want you to do. When you go home tonight, take your cell phone, look in the mirror, record yourself doing those 20 seconds into the mirror. She's like, what? What? So she did it, but she had no idea I was going to show it to class the next day. And when I showed it to class, it wasn't good, but nobody laughed. And I said, there you go. 
okay? You just showed somebody your most personal place, your bathroom, and you videotaped it. Nobody laughed. So enough of the bullshit. You can do this. You can do this. And the fact that, so that's what? We did that camp in July, and six weeks later, she's on ESPN2 calling the Little League World Series. It's only because I went after her that first day because I knew. See, the eyes never lie, guys. And I knew how much her eye, even though her body was telling me she was nervous and lacked the confidence, her eyes told me she could do it. So that's why I stayed on her. And she, Zoe's going to do this. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind. Because she's very talented and people really like her. And that helps. That's another thing. In this business, there's a lot of people really talented. But they can be kind of jerk-offs. You know what? Be who you are. Not to say you can't have a bad day. Everybody has a bad day. But, you know, say hello to people. Hold the door for people. Say thank you to people. It, it, goes a long, it goes a long way. It really does. And when you're in this business, make sure if you're calling a game or working on an event and you're an announcer, sideline, play-by-play, color, when the event is over, make sure you swing by the truck or the control room to say thank you to everybody. Because that's really important. A lot of people do the game, just blow out. Make sure you use two very powerful words, thank you. So make sure you always remember that, to thank them. Because it's all a team. It's not you. It's not your color guy. It's a team. So remember that. Yeah. For the, for the camp, at least, do you have, like, what you talked about, you know, wanting to, you know, quit eight of 17 years or something like, like that. What, what is the thing you like or you love most about, you know, teaching, you know, kids like us that's kept you there all these years? Uh, Griff, it, it's simple. The moment the week in class happens where they're like, oh, wow, this guy's not some mean dude. He actually cares about us. And it was harder for you guys to experience that through the, the, the camera this year. But there's always that moment for like, and the funny thing is for the, the kids who have had me before, their favorite day of the week is the first day when somebody who's new to me and I light them up, yeah. it can't wait. Like I'll come in and people are like, when are you going to light some, I was like, I don't know when I'm going to light somebody up. It just happens. That's my favorite moment where the moment is, hey, this isn't Mike, this isn't Mac, this isn't Griff, this is all of us together. And that moment where they drop their shoulders, relax and say, I can do this. My favorite moment of the week for the last 17 or 18 years, by far, by far, the greatest moment of the week. That's great. Do you think that you would have had the success with the camp and the campers would have had the success that they have had if you weren't as tough on them? It's a good question. That's a great question. I would like to think based on, and not like every kid who's, who's graduated from the camp that goes to college stays in touch with me, but I would like to, let's put it this way. There's a lot of kids that go off to the camp and they're at major colleges. They're like, we, we, we wish you were teaching our, our class in college. You just do it so different. Let's put it this. I don't, for the ones who have taken the teaching, I know this, they definitely have a head start when they get to college. That, that I can guarantee you. Would it, would it have been successful if I didn't do it? I don't think I would have been fair to you guys and your parents. I, I really don't. Like, again, it's not a first-year camp. It's an advanced camp. So I, I do that. I, I do that to make you guys better. And I've learned a long time. It doesn't matter if you like me or not. It matters if you're getting better. 
That's all, that's all that matters. Like I, I had a little league coach, Mr. Kendari. I thought he hated my guts. He was so tough on me. Oh, I thought he hated me. And then I'll never forget, he, one of the first notes I got when I was working at MSG was him. And it was Coach Kendari saying, Mike, this is Coach. I always knew you can do it. <clears throat> I'm always harder on the ones who I know have that inner drive, that inner spirit. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. And you were, you were a better hitter than I ever told you you were. So, I mean, that was – but I could be – listen, there, there are moments where you think you're my best friend in the class and you might do something wrong, and, and I get on your ass. Yeah. And those are the moments that kids have told me. You changed me because you were like, like, I didn't know if I really wanted it. And, and I've gotten notes from kids who went on to do other things and said, thank you so much for getting me off the path before I got to college. I changed my major. So, yeah, listen, I'm never going to change. I'm a lot softer than I used to be. You know, I mean, that first year, there was a legendary story where there was one, there was 15 kids in the class and one of the girls was so good. She was from New Jersey. She was a gymnast, so she had great confidence, very relaxed when we were doing our fake on cameras. And I could see the rest of the class was like, oh, my God, she's so good, boom, boom, boom. And we talked about always being engaged with the red light. No matter what, the place is burning down. Report on the fire. You know, you got you to gotta stay engaged. And I was like, my God. See, because on that first day, what I try to do, is the people who think they're that good and they're up here and the people who are intimidated, I try to bring them down a little bit, try to bring these guys up a lot in that first day. So her name was Mia O'Brien. And I took a plastic garbage can from behind her and I fired it across the room. It hit the wall, exploded on the wall. And she turned and looked away. I'm like, what are you doing? You got to stay engaged with it. You can never be distracted. Well, legend had it by the time we got to lunch that day that I threw a garbage can at a camper. I put a camper in a garbage can. So that was funny because that, first, that was at, at Montclair State University, and we were up on the hill. So we had to walk down for lunch to the cafeteria. Nobody knows me at this point. I have 15 kids in the class. I go to sit down at a table. Nobody sat with me. They, I had a whole table of like 20. to my. They were terrified. Then the next day, they're like, oh, my God, wait a minute. So there was all, like, the second year, it was funny because the group that had me the first year that came back, they're like, right away, as soon as we got there, 7.30 in the morning, when are you going to throw the garbage can? I'm like, I don't know if I'm throwing a garbage can. It just happened, you know? So we've had some fun moments, but they know. I think what happens is that the students that have had me before will say to the other students, listen, just get through the first half of the first day. Make sure you're on time. Make sure you're paying attention. And if you do that, he'll, 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 you'll be his best friend. You know, and, and that, that's what it is. Yeah. I guess with time running out, I'd, one last question, you know, to anyone who's watching this or listening that, you know, hasn't done the camp or doesn't have, you know, too much experience, what would be your, your biggest piece of advice to them to help them, you know, maybe – start their broadcasting careers, get more confident, you know, develop the skills they need to, to get a head start of everyone at this age. Make some mistakes. Make some mistakes. And outside of your comfort zone, make some mistakes. Because once you make those mistakes, guys, 
and you realize, okay, I'm not bleeding. My back doesn't hurt. I didn't roll an ankle. I flubbed the work. That, that's what I would say. Make mistakes. It makes you better. Make sure you don't make mistakes in your preparation. You want to prepare to be perfect. But you heard me this year. I don't care if you flub a word. I could care less. You know, I, it doesn't mean anything. To me. Now, if we do it every second of every report, now we might want to do something other than talk on camera. But the more you prepare, and, and one of the things I've started asking kids lately is about taking tests. Have you ever feared going in taking a test? They're like, absolutely. When? Well, you know, if I wasn't prepared, I said, what if you were prepared? Like, have you ever prepared for a test where you couldn't wait to take it? Like, absolutely. I said, how much better do you feel? How much more relaxed do you feel when you take the test and you're prepared? Same thing here. Prepare. Who cares if you make a mistake? That's what I mean. You guys have heard me say, look at you guys right here, like doing this stuff. Okay? You're outside the box. You're working on your interview skills. You're working on <clears throat> producer skills, arranging all times and zoom the, the coordinates you're, you're doing things you know you probably two years ago you probably never think i'm going to do a zoom call right but you're doing it so it makes you better all the time like look at your eye contact during this like i still don't know where to look the camera like, <laughs> like your guys eye contact is terrific your posture is terrific obviously you rehearse some things before this like okay i'm gonna go you're gonna go i'm gonna go you're gonna go so by doing this, you're getting better. And by doing this, you took a huge chance. You don't know, like maybe the technology doesn't work today, but you tried it. You tried it. So you just became better today because you did a whole bunch of things. You were working as a producer, working as a host, working as a teammate, working as an interviewer. That's the thing. And who cares if you make a mistake? So that's my biggest thing, which people think when they hear me say that, they're like, Wow, I never thought I'd hear those words out of your mouth. I don't care if you make a mistake. I don't. I care if you're not prepared. But making a mistake, flubbing a word, who cares? So yeah, just get out there and believe in yourself. You know, the person who's brushing their teeth in the morning, just that person that you're looking in there at, just let them think that they can do everything. Everything they want to try, let them try. There'll be some mistakes along the way. Who cares? As long as you're trying it. The worst mistake would be never trying it. <clears throat> Because that's an unfixable mistake because you didn't try it. You know, you didn't look at how good you guys got by week set. You know, you got better and better every day. That's what it's about. Can't get better if you're not trying. Can't get better if you're not making mistakes. Because if you're not making mistakes, you're just kind of going through the motion. You know, that's it. That would be my advice. Thank you so much for the advice and everything coming on today and especially just helping take care of me and Griffin and always be willing to help. Yeah. Really appreciate oh, no it. doubt. The only thing I did wrong, racing home from Iona Prep, I had another meeting. And when I got here, I got back into the house at like 2.58. As you can see, I forgot to turn on the air. It's getting really hot in here. <laughs> yeah, I was just over there too. I had to get my senior pictures a few hours ago too, so. Oh, what time were you there? I was, I was there at 12. Were you there? Oh my God, I pulled out at 11.49. Then I had to go over to New Rochelle City Hall and talk to the parks department. I was probably entering as you were leaving. Oh, that is crazy. It was sad. There's nobody in the parking lot. That school should be alive right now. Yeah, it's so crazy. Sad. I saw a few pictures on social media, like people practicing on the field there. So I was kind of surprised not to see anything. It was yeah, kind of no. So you're going back on the 8th, right? For sure. I think it's the 3rd. 3rd? Griff, when are you going back? I'm the 8th. You're the eighth? Okay. The eighth. 
Yeah. Things would be different. I remember I, I was walking through the halls. There's hand sanitizer outside every door. It's it's so different. Oh, it's crazy. It's just nuts. Pulling into that parking lot today, I was like, wow. <laughs> I think it's hitting me more now because all the teams should be out practicing and everything right now. Like, I've been popping around to a bunch of schools just looking at fields and stuff. But, you know, in the middle of June, there's usually not people on it. Today, pulling in there, I was like, wow, this is crazy. So different. Such a shame. Such a shame. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, listen, thank you so much. And wrap it up. Let me hear you guys wrap this up. All right. <laughs> that will wrap things up here for this week's episode of Outside the Arena. As always, it was a pleasure having you on this week, Mike. And everyone watching, make sure to subscribe, like, and follow us on Instagram at Outside the Arena Podcast. And next week, we'll be sure to drag someone outside the arena.